Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to MusicCast. This is a reminder that if you know someone who would be a great guest on the show, you should go to the F-Lat Books website, click on any of our blog posts, and click on the nomination form. You can also send us information directly by emailing musicast at flatbooks.com. All right, folks, thank you for uh, hopping on for another episode of the MusicCast podcast. Um, this morning, evening, afternoon, whenever you happen to be listening, we are joined with uh, the members of the band Lucky Chops. Um, thank you guys for being with us. If I can, just because most people listen from an audio perspective, if I can just introduce yourselves very quickly just so they can attach voices and names, that would be great. Well, I'm Josh Dow. Um, I play trumpet in Lucky Chops. Um, that's pretty much it, right there. <laughs> I that really sums you up. Yeah, that's that's all. Pretty much all I got to say, actually. So, all right, well, we'll see you later. That's good. <laughs> Episode, everybody. <laughs> um, Best one yet. The, well, I will I will jump in now and introduce myself. Hi, my name is Darrow Baruzzi. Um, I'm saxophone and bass clarinet and other woodwinds in Lucky Chops. And I'm going to jump on this exciting bandwagon we've got going on here. And I'm Josh Holcomb, other Josh, and I play trombone in the band, also in the band Lucky Chops, coincidentally. Um, so can you guys give us a little bit of a background just in terms of um, where did, where did Lucky, Chops, Lucky Chops start? Where did you get going? Many moons ago, when we were in high school together, originally, uh, two of us who are here now, Darrow and myself, and a bunch of other guys who, are, who haven't been in the band since that time, pretty much. Uh, and this was almost 15 years ago. 14, right, Darrow, I believe? Um, yeah, it was over 14 now. We're yeah, it will be 15 soon, which over is 2006. terrifying to realize. But uh, when we were in high school, we were playing in a lot of the ensembles in the school. So that's jazz band, orchestra, concert band, these kind of more, you know, conventional school ensembles. And we actually went to a, a specialized performing arts high school, uh, which is a great public school in New York City called LaGuardia High School, uh, which offers free, amazing conservatory level uh, education, music education to public school students uh, from across the five boroughs. So we're really grateful that we went there and we had supportive teachers there who encouraged us to kind of uh, form our own groups outside of school and uh, who allowed us to utilize uh, practice spaces in the school to kind of do our own little mad scientist uh, musical experimentation uh, after school and on the side. So we kind of just formed a band where we could play other ty types of music we weren't playing in school. And uh, we all have different kinds of music we like. So we would just try and play some songs from all these different styles, uh, but using our instruments which oftentimes weren't normally featured in these styles of music uh to to do that and so fast forward 15 years later here we are there's a lot in between that we can talk about <laughs> so we our band pre predates many of our our fans so weird <laughs> it's so weird i have many high schoolers with um many of your album logos on their binders and i think that they might have been one when you started so but they're big fans um what did the um what did it look like when you guys started i love the man the mad scientist vibe of kind of just starting and seeing what happens and things like that and from i'm in a high school right now in a band program and one of the things that i see most is a lot of 
trepidation in students to try and experiment with things because I think as soon as they try something and it doesn't sound like it sounds in their head, they go, nope, I tried that, I'm done. And what does that look like for you guys to put your instruments in completely different genres than they necessarily are traditionally in? Yeah, that's a really good question and a really important point to realize about, um, you know, how it is like thinking back on my own learning and, you know, it wasn't always like so intuitive to just kind of like go for it and be able to get there. And, you know, it can be very discouraging when you're not getting the things that you're going for. Um, <clears throat> I think that one of the one of the most important aspects of that in like thinking back to, you know, high school and when we were starting was, um, you know, just having like a, a supportive group to sort of be playing with of, of other students who were also like at a very high level. Like, you know, I, I had just started playing saxophone when the band formed. So like I even like the first few times that I was playing with Lucky Chops was on clarinet and it was just kind of like, like I'm sure no one could even hear what I was doing. So I kind of just got to like hide there, but, um, but you know, so like, like, finding peers to get inspiration from at the same time as like, you know, people who, you know, friends who are also kind of exploring things and, you know, just kind of cultivating that environment where it's like, um, you know, it's okay if you do something that's, that doesn't sound like what you're going for and actually being encouraged to like, by teachers and peers to check out lots of different styles that, you know, allow you to sort of just kind of break free on your instrument. Um, to make weird sounds that that maybe aren't like what you're supposed to do on the instrument. Um, I think that that was actually a huge thing for me in terms of like getting more comfortable with playing stuff that's not super abstract, you know, what like what we do in Lucky Chops. But having that experience with more abstract kind of weird things made me feel more comfortable like doing things um, that were different, but maybe not just making like weird bleep and bloop kind of sounds on, on the horn, which I was also doing a lot of at the time. <laughs> When when you talk about the support from um, both teachers and peers and things like that, what did the specifically because most of our target audience is um, music educators, what did the the support from the teachers look like? I'm the from a saxophone player myself. I know the bleep bloop sounds and things like that. Um, <laughs> you find your way to make those on your own. Uh, a lot of times against what teachers want sometimes, but like, what did the support look like from them? Was it really just the space and the the freedom to do it? Or were they giving you more? Space, like very in a literal sense is a huge thing. I think, you know, like having like a practice room to go to like unsupervised, like semi unsupervised, you know, supervised enough that like the teacher was taking responsibility for us being there, um, but not having it be like in the context of a class where there were specific things that we had to do. Like, I think, that was the one that's probably the biggest thing that I took for granted that I'd look back on and be like, wow, having access to like free practice and rehearsal space um, to do whatever we wanted with our instruments there with all these resources that, you know, like we could just go into the percussion room and just, you know, just like turn off all the lights and just like hit all these different things. <laughs> um, and, you know, so, so very literally, I think space is like, keeping, like space and just like understanding, like, the resources that are available in that in a high school to kids that that we don't have access to outside and once we get into college and you know past being school age when you start having to like either build a rehearsal space or like pay to rent a space like those things become like more and more precious so so that that's like one of the key things i would say i think another thing is 
in addition to the physical space, which I think is a really good point, also the um, the resources that are not physical resources, but musical resources. So uh, our jazz band teacher, he was really great um, because he would share so much music with us. And that really helped us a lot, expand our musical horizons and just become way better musicians in, a, in the course of a couple of years. Um, and he would just give us so much music to listen to all the time. And that was really cool. Um, and that, that kind of encouraged us to then take it upon ourselves to discover music as well. And that love was really, you know, it was really stoked by our teacher just giving us music all the time. And now it's easier than ever to find music. So playlists on Spotify, whatever it may be, you know, you could just throw in students' ways, uh, students' way, I guess. Um, and then also um, kind of a balance of uh, encouragement and challenges and a, a lot of the challenges would come in the form of sharing music with us that would challenge us um and i think that was that's a great combo for educators it's like giving goals like setting goals and setting difficult things to to strive for and then acknowledging all the little victories along the way uh is a really great uh formula that really worked and helped us i think as, as musicians so when you talk about and i think that the we talk a lot about different processes and like we, we try and control a lot of what's in our classroom at different times. And some of that just allowing them to breathe and allowing them to grow is the biggest part of what we do. And I like the idea of paying attention to the, how many steps it takes to get to where you would want to be and rewarding those small victories and things like that, that get you there. Um, and when you talk about small victories and moving to that way, what's the, what was the step from you out of a practice room in a school where all, all of you are together to, public performance how does that plunge happen actually i think that was what happened first kind of or i mean it was kind of simultaneous um you know in new york um especially as like young um you know kid musicians playing up the sort of cute factor of being like a bunch of teenagers um we we could play on the street or like in the parks uh so much and we you know we our school's right by central park so, um, and actually the first gig that the band did was um, the Filipino Day Parade, which was a, a march, like marching parade through Manhattan. So, you know, going like really like simultaneously, you know, it was never like practice a lot for the purpose of getting to the, um, uh, the chance to perform, but it was kind of like practice one day go outside and busk the next day and it's i think that that's actually a really great formula like low stakes public kind of things where you're doing something that you might feel too much pressure about otherwise and but you know you kind of just feel uh very free to uh you know be a little more experimental um, but at the same time you're learning a lot about like engaging with your surroundings and other human beings who are passing you and listening to your music. Um, so to me, that's like almost kind of like eased us into like performing um, in a very like specifically performing, like, you know, on a stage in a theater or something like that. Um, so yeah, I, I think busking is, is, is a huge um, un, under under tapped resource for young musicians. Yeah. And another thing is like, if that's not uh, an option in a given area, which, you know, it's, we're lucky that we live in the heart of 
busking like the best you could ever have in the world kind of but in a lot of towns they don't have public places that you can go even if it's a park or shopping plaza um but there can still be other incentives like other goals or events um in the way of maybe even like a local talent show or anything like that that can like give students uh incentive to want to practice you know what i mean it's like well we have this thing that we have to do so we we gotta prepare for it somehow and that can be like a really fun way to incentivize kids to to play um and to practice if they have like a goal or an event you answered my next question there um but I've got a follow-up to that. So you're taking all of these really awesome organic experiences, um, you know, in the subways and the parks. What differences do you guys notice while you're on stage, if there is any, compared to being on the streets and in the parks? Well, I guess, like, if you're in the streets and the parks, people are, like, you know, could listen. They have a choice to listen. Of a choice to go away, so I feel like a performance is on a different level because for people, or like on stage, ticketed event, which if it's like a shop show, is that they choose to be there. So the stakes feel a little bit higher, but I mean, they just feel completely different to me. I don't know how you guys feel; like they're just kind of two different, completely two different performances. We've definitely had shows though where where uh, people chose to leave as well. <laughs> yes, that's very true. <laughs> Thankfully, not many. <laughs> Do you have, I, and I mean, when I think about it in terms of, I never did much busking and things like that, but I, the, just the idea of being in a subway and playing and kind of, there's an exciting, almost like game aspect to it of like, when you just start to see these crowds appear and like get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yes. Did you ever, do you ever have those moments where it's almost like an out of body where you look and you just say, man, like, they're all here and they were all going somewhere and now they're just here with us for the time being. Yeah. Before Lucky Chops, I was playing shows at like the Alphabet Lounge for like two people. So, oh. I mean, <laughs> it was nice to finally be a part of something where people were stopping and listening. It's also it was just amazing practice performing in front of a bunch of people because like I said before, you know, we were, I was playing in like college bands with Holcomb and so that's kind of like a built-in crowd. And then I was trying to do other stuff with other bands, but generally be like one or two people. And they're probably the friend of the person that, you know, hired me to do the gig. So, you know, starting to play in front of actual strangers, you know, who would stop and listen, you know, awesome practice because after every song, people would, some people would stay or most majority of people would leave. And then you get a bunch of new people. So it's the, the practice of just playing in front of a crowd basically came from the subway for me. I'm sure in some ways you probably had a little bit of, did you, when you went to the sub where you went to the parks and you had these performances and things, did you gather a lot of what we learn next or where we go next from the people that are watching and that are talking to you as they're leaving saying, Oh, do you play any of this? Or do you do any of uh, these tunes and stuff like that? And you just kind of build your repertoire from there. <laughs> we get a we lot of requests. We got a lot of the opposite of like, <laughs> Oh, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Or you see a lot of stuff down there. Oh, yeah. So we feel it'd be so oh. great if you guys could play this one song and it's every time we just like, I don't think so. No, but, but it was, <laughs> I think it, I, we would all agree that that experience, there's just nothing like it. Like it, it's to me, it's like the, it's the most pure uh, performing like 
platform or venue or whatever you want to call it experience that you can kind of have because it really there's no barriers in any way shape or form uh even though sometimes i I wish there were some physical barriers (laughs) at times um but no there's no booking agent there's no rules that the venue has to follow there's there's no hindrances like it's just direct person to person connection and develop like getting tapped into that and really like investing ourselves into developing that kind of connection uh it's like the most amazing thing ever and that it's like it stems from like darrow and myself like we experienced that with like jazz music a lot growing up like that's the vibe is like the idea is that you have that connection between band members like or you know if it's a good crowd between the band and the crowd uh but to to just do that with non-jazz crowds was awesome showcasing the power that these instruments we play uh, are capable of and to stop people in their tracks just with a sound uh is pretty crazy when you think about it and so the fact that we were able to do that and really just become immersed in that kind of connection uh it taught us so many lessons uh and it's kind of we approach our stage shows with we want to have that that's like the goal uh, we don't want to lose it and have it become more artificial. We want to maintain that pureness uh, always. So it's always a great thing when we go back to playing in the subway, even though there, it's few and far between, because it helps us to connect with that uh, connection again. And so, yeah, it's really special. I mean, Dare, you agree, right? And you feel the same way? I think like just the the feeling of like when we haven't been playing in the subway for a long time, like after like, you know, a, a bunch of tours and, you know, coming back to the subway, like at first I feel like a bunch of anxiety, like setting up and like, oh, I'm in this like public space where I haven't really been invited. I feel kind of weird being here, we'll start warming up a little. What are people going to think? And then just like, you know, as soon as we start playing, people are just like so grateful and it's it really feels so, so much like you're like there to give to to share with people and to connect with people and all of those like more like egoistic kind of con- concerns and anxieties kind of melt away. Um, and I love that feeling and I don't get that same feeling um, on stage. Um, it's and and that it's a, like a different set of challenges, I think, with like the ego and, you know, this idea that you're stepping out in front of like sometimes thousands of like screaming fans. It, it, it you know, it has a, a different impact on how to what extent you're able to put aside the ego that's kind of like fueled by that um, and really be like be there with people and, and in the subway, it like forces you out of that, I think. So. so has anyone in music education, we always talk about the why. Why do we need music in our schools? Why is it important for students? Um, has anybody ever approached you while you're doing these performances and said, you know, thank you so much. I was, you know, having a bad day and you turned it around or has anyone ever stopped you and said like, thank you so much. This is important. And this is why. Yeah. Yeah. We get a lot of every time, you know, compliments. Yeah. It's, it's really humbling. Yeah. It's great. We've had crazy examples of that uh, over the years. I remember one time uh, in addition to just like the, the people, the casual people that we just like kind of hit them while they were yeah. going to and fro wherever that's the best. But then there's also been other times at shows uh, where we've heard crazy stuff. One time there was a person who came 
in a wheelchair, right? I believe. They had like MS or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And they were dancing for the first time in like, I forget however long they said, or they were able to do anything like that. And like seeing that kind of healing power come across in that kind of just like blunt way is like insane. And then you factor in all the other people, maybe they're not, you know, getting up and walking for the first time in years, but it, they feel it inside, you know, they feel that, that healing. Um, I think that that is our mission is just to, to spread that property, spread that power and hopefully, uh, you know, heal the world basically. I, um, and I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to see you work with um, high school and middle school age students at least once before. And one of the things I think is so awesome about you guys is um, that element of it, that healing power and the things like that, like it's something we try and preach so often to our students and things like that. But that bridge between the people that they find that healing and that motivational aspect and them as students is sometimes so hard to cross. And it feels like the willingness of you guys to do these kind of things like the podcast or come to high schools and play or be in the subway every so often, even though you have these, this access to stages now is just so it's so huge and so awesome for students. And I know from my experience, I've watched kids. I always have a kid like a freshman comes in and goes, Mr. Fair, have you seen, like, have you seen this group lucky chops? And it's always one of the, the first subway. And I, we have that moment and they talk about it and then it just blows their mind that they just go farther down the list. Um, and to that point of like healing the world, when you, when all of a sudden you started to gain attention on uh, YouTube, was that something you kind of intended to do? Or was that something that organically happened and you just had the opportunity to run with it? Because I think this message you have is awesome and it's so widespread now. We, we had kind of, you were, we were using the, the subway performances as a means to get our message and our, uh, you know, mission out there into the world. So we did have like higher uh, aspirations for sure. Um, But even at that time, I don't think that we really could have grasped like how much it would spread Um, uh, just in sheer like numbers and globally, you know, uh, geographically speaking, I mean, it's just crazy uh, how many people from different countries have uh you know reached out to us and and how many countries we've played in and all this stuff so it's it's it blew our minds i would say (laughs) are you guys um i mean in light of what's happening in the world right now and things like that are you missing are you getting ready to hopefully tour again soon are you kind of enjoying the time to kind of be a little more internal and build and grow musically as a group right now yeah, I think a lot of a lot of things have been going on. I think it's been hard to like make sense of, of everything that's happening and how to process it and, and what to do. Um, you know, or I mean, just on a very practical level, we can't play shows. Um, you know, so so we've been pushing our dates further and further back, you know, hoping that if, if things do come back to normal then we can go back into playing, you know, those shows like and, and sort of get out in front of that. So that's why we'll, we, we've now our, our tour was initially pushed back 
to September, October, and now we pushed it back to May and June of, of next year. Um, so, yeah, so, so you know, that's been like sort of a, a thing where it's like, we'll see, you know, we'll just have to see what happens. There's really no way to know. Um, but as far as like things, other things we've been able to do, you know, we really, we went uh, very hard with like the trying to do stuff online and, and, and really put stuff out there, keep creating content remotely. Um, and a, a lot of teaching and educational content and uh, doing lessons and group classes and things like that. <clears throat> um, but even that started be feeling like something that we were sort of, you know, just like running up against the same sort of challenges that, you know, keep, I think, um, you know, it's, it's like you get these diminishing returns after a while, like trying to do everything online when online content is so saturated right now. And, um, and it doesn't really feel the same, you know, so it doesn't, it, it's not like you can just keep persevering with the same sort of like drive and, and energy behind it when you're not getting that, you know, in-person musical exchange um, happening. So, so definitely for me, I've like ex been getting better about like accepting the, that the, it's just like not possible, like to, you know, to like win right now or whatever they say in the in the biz um which is such a twisted way of thinking about it considering what's going on in the world but um um you know it's it's i just don't feel like i i can do like like make make it all happen you know so so then that that's a, both an opportunity and sort of like a a, a demand to just like chill out and and like take some time and and you know embrace the the idea that there there is like not that much that we can do um so yeah so i'm taking a biking trip next week with josh and and rafael Bouillot. um and josh just did a, a hike in the adirondacks um so you know trying to like oh nice like reconnect with our our inner selves and nature and things like that i think is important one weird thing was that i think a lot of musicians professional musicians struggle with this um a lot of times we equate, and this is on a, this is like in a, not really have anything to do with music education, unfortunately, but it's interesting, I think. Um, a lot of musicians, professional musicians, our sense of self-worth or self-value evaluation is directly linked with our musical prowess or our skills on our instrument or our whatever, career, what, whatever it might be. Uh, but it's, you know, they're oftentimes very much one and the same, I, at least in my life and from a lot of my friends that I've just, you know, talked about this with. And so at this time, you don't have a career and you don't have any gigs and it's hard to stay motivated and practice every day for nothing, pretty much. So it's kind of forced myself and a lot of my musician peers to kind of reassess that kind of really toxic uh false equivalence if you will and it's been really cool to like be like you know what we don't have any of these things so we how can our self-worth be attached to these things if they don't even exist and it's kind of forced myself to like go beyond that and be like you know what it's not it's not the end-all be-all even though we're taught so often growing up in a very uh what's the word competitive music conservatory environment that that is the end-all be-all so it's been kind of refreshing in that way and healthy. And I think that that will come across in the music uh, in a way power, in a very powerful way, because it's a very like wonderful sentiment. Uh, so yeah, I think that it's going to be a good thing in the end. I think that 
the the self-care aspect and this is both in an education perspective and in a and a global world perspective that self-care idea is such an important one and um maybe unfortunately we have to visit a little more often than we wish we would have to in a high school and things like that but it's i think that's a huge message to hear for students in that perspective because um I do think that that's the that's kind of the image that's given in some ways that's what you do and what you accomplish is where your worth lies and if you're an aspiring musician and you're a junior and you're senior in high school and you haven't yet had the chance to do it and all of a sudden there's this giant roadblock that you don't see the other side of it then the question of you've never even tasted it once how do you like reason or reconcile with working for it when you don't know what it's like it's such an important one and huge for kids and for teachers so they know to impart that upon their students Cool. Yeah, I think the idea of, uh, you know, actually understanding like where this music is coming from in the first place has so little to do and is so antithetical to this concept of like your value or the value of the music is it's uh, is in like the, you know, output, the uh, the amount of output, like how, you know, these these things about like being productive and having like these certain markers of success that, um, you know, ha often are like very opposed to the, the actual, um, you know, valuing oneself and therefore the music that one makes um, just inherently, you know, that there's like a worth and a value in your voice as a person and as a musician. Um, and it has nothing to do with how many likes you get on the post that you um, you know, used to share your music or how many tickets you can sell. Um, and a lot of that stuff has so much more to do with marketing and branding than, you know, and how it's packaged then. And, but, but then our minds get very twisted and start to think about those things as actual measures of the worth of ourselves and the music that we're sharing. So I think that's such an important thing for, for young musicians and just young people in general. To, to understand and, and start to sort of cultivate that, that self-love. Um, I think that's, again, just echoing the importance of that idea. Um, and the being an orchestra director, I, I see kind of the cliche competitive side of students come through probably more often than you would even see in, well, maybe not, but in the jazz world, you know, I didn't even have that, um, that side of, music education either growing up. But as I got older and I got into education, I became a huge advocate for creativity and composition starting at younger and younger ages and working it into the secondary classroom. How or what advice would you give to students who are curious about that side of music and um, how would you encourage them to experience music beyond a conventional classroom setting? Great question. Um, and that's one thing that we feel really strongly about uh, because we wouldn't be a band if we didn't, you know, have encouragement from a young age to be creative and to, you know, tr experiment with improvisation and experiment with composition. And the earlier that, that those seeds can be sown, the earlier, the earlier they'll take root and it can have just a ginormous uh, impact on a person's musicianship uh, and self-worth, self-esteem, uh, sense of self, everything. It's like 
that's it. That's the nugget. Um, and I think that a great way to approach that from a young age, curious to hear what you guys thoughts, uh, um, is with jamming, right? This is like a super accessible, easy thing to, to start out with. And like, it, it doesn't matter what instruments they play or, um, you know, how many people there are, but I think the idea of jamming with another person is a really powerful, uh, tool and that could mean kind of anything um it could and everybody's going to have a different you start eight get gateway into jamming uh depending on their level of experience or their you know skill level or whatever it may be but just kind of putting them in a room and like all right here let's jam or encouraging them to do that is a fun great first step josh and darrow what are your thoughts i'm curious your strategies um, I think a lot of students, especially like horn players and uh, maybe even like some orchestral players as well, where they feel they're like put in a box, you know, as far as if I play trumpet, I can play. The only things I can do with that is marching band, jazz band, and concert band. So classical jazz and whatever you, or maybe that's combinations in marching band as well. And they only see it inside that box. And then they see all their other friends playing guitar and playing some more modern stuff and you know and then they feel like oh well, i can't really play this on this particular instrument i think you know lucky chops is you know we have just a melting pot of all types of different music you know mostly kind of we're kind of in like um i guess traditionally like, like pop like a popular type of music you know it's dance music we play at you know rock venues but you know we're not stuck in the jazz box or the classical box or the con you know the marching band box we kind of just put everything in there and try different stuff out try and be creative so if my advice for young musicians is if you play like you know a violin you're not just limited to playing in an orchestra your whole entire life you know there are other things that you can do with that um i think that's one of the reasons why a lot of players that you know maybe that aren't playing guitar or piano or whatever feel that they might want to switch because it's not like maybe jazz music is not going to do it or, you know, maybe classical music is not going to do it for them. And any, you could play with any instrument, you could play anything you want. You're not, you don't have to be put in the same, you know, path that, you know, I had a lot of teachers that said, well, if you want to play trumpet, yeah, you have to play all of these, you know, jazz solos from all these different jazz players that I did not want to listen to, you know, and I just don't, like that type of education where you feel like you're just you got to do this or you're not going to get the gigs it's just it's really frustrating so kind of felt like lucky chops was a rebellion against all that stuff in a way um i could also jump in on some things that i found effective like with students for encouraging creativity and things that it, i felt um really helpful for me um I, I think this idea of jamming is really cool. And I also think um, encouraging students to sort of figure out ways to um, take like uh, really limited amounts of information that they get to work with and, and sort of maximize the, the music that they can get out of it. Um, I think like learning, um, you know, approaching like rhythm um, as like a driving force for what they're doing um, with like composition uh, can be a fun way to like get playful and creative, um, especially I think for classical musicians that are not as uh, where that's not as emphasized, um, and to you know to develop that like a 
rhythmic sense. Like I, I've had a few lessons with like flute and clarinet students who are coming only from a classical background uh, who um, most of the time we just sort of spent trying to figure out like how to sort of get this concept of like groove and rhythm. Um, um, and, you know, but then like most of my saxophone students are, you know, their approach is coming from like pop and jazz and funk and stuff like that. Um, but um, so I think like, you know, like composition um, using like a, a very limited set of things that then also lead to your developing your own language as an improviser um, and a composer. Like one thing I, I do with almost all of my students when we're sort of introducing improvisation is have them play um, sort of alternate between like a bass concept and a melody concept and sort of either like splitting it up over like one measure or two measures um, and you know we'll start off like you only play one bass note and you like play a, like a repetitive rhythm with that bass note and then you pick like from like three notes to play the melody and you and then so you have to keep the beat sometimes i'll have them play like with like a backing groove or like a metronome um and and then usually they that like excites them to go create their own ideas out of this and you know they'll like come back the next week like you know i i i added this other bass note and then i i changed the melody notes and you know so then this concept of like phrasing like what you know how do you like make this these few notes into like a musical statement um you know and and so so i think like connecting composition improvisation and sort of exploring um like the 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 basically like taking ownership over that the stuff of music right like this 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 can be yours these notes this can be your thing it's not just like you see it on a paper someone tells you to play it and you know rather than feeling alienated from it um you actually like start to come to embody and and internalize these these things that you're still that you'd be playing otherwise you know um as a tiny follow-up to kind of that and i love i i love all those ideas and uh dare to your point i had a i experienced someone doing um uh soloing over the blues once and they did this kind of same thing where it was restrictive where they said you can only play this note and now this time through you can play these two notes and i watched students who never wanted to improvise in their lives start to kind of open up and things like that and it was really cool to watch um to just kind of follow up those points as we kind of start to wind down um josh you also said something i loved to the idea of you kept getting these trumpet solos that you weren't necessarily interested in and you were kind of expected to play. I think that everything we're talking about here is awesome and it allows the students to take ownership over music. But I also think the other side of the coin is sometimes music educators. Um, and I don't want to speak for anyone else, Marissa, and you can uh, tell me if I'm wrong. I think that sometimes band directors are a little more willing to do this aspect of it, but there's also an element of giving up control of the room in that way to allow them to experience something not as structured. Um, do you have any advice to music educators that are looking for that opportunity to kind of jump into this style or this way of teaching to open it up to the kids? Great question. It's tough. If you have a huge ensemble, I mean, like, what are you going to do? You can't have, it's just that's not the form that's not the setting for like one-on-one -on -one improv you know intensives right but i think that the power of music can still shine through in large orchestras and you know 
whatever it may be. And I think that um, I felt it, uh, you know, if I've had a conductor or an ensemble leader who, who I felt was approaching it through these things that we've been talking about, like healing power of music, that one-on-one connection, really internalizing the music and feeling it to their fullest capacity. Uh, I think that that can oftentimes be a conduit to, uh, to having students experience that for themselves as well in a very powerful way. And I look at some of my favorite conductors uh, and I feel that from them, you know, and I think that, you know, if, if the format's not conducive to one-on-one improv stuff, if you can find a way to do that and have it be broken out into little groups for a day and try these things, that's awesome. But if that's not, uh, if that's not the situation, that's okay. Uh, but I think just taking the time to look within as it, educators and conductors ourselves and to ask, are we feeling the music? Are we approaching it from this place? Um, and really giving ourselves 100% in the moment uh that's essentially improvisation like if we're allowing the music to flow through us fully and really being in present in that zone then the students can experience that power from within us as the as the conduits if you will it's one one idea um something a little different is i personally think repertoire you know what the kids are playing um i don't think that an educator should use their kids as their guinea pigs of oh i want to play this song and the the conductor wants to exactly this repertoire and then kind of forces the kids to play even if they hate it you know um just being open ears taking suggestions you know if the whole whole band wants to maybe play you know soundtrack music or something like that i know we in my high school we always we tried to get our teacher to do anything from a soundtrack anything he would be like now we got to play all these types of like classical concert stuff and then eventually came we we played the lord of the rings suite but not the one from the movie so it was kind of like a compromise i guess but (laughs) (laughs) which i i did like that one I forget uh was that um Yo- Johan de Mai or something like that um I forget but it was it was really fun and you know just being able to get the kids involved and maybe having a, a decision and what they might play just to motivate them because you're putting up like really slow ballads and it's you know and they might not be interested in that then what's the motivation to show up to band practice that day I, I also think um, similar idea of like getting, you know, the students motivated um, and, you know, really like calling upon students to sort of have to take some initiative um, uh, because I think that's really important as well. It's like cultivating that, you know, self drive for exploring music. One thing that always that I remember being really effective um, in myself and other students getting motivated was like, you know, class time was one thing but then you can come down during lunch or like a free period and use the practice room. And that was the free time. That was exploration time. That was when you, you know, that the teacher might be eating his lunch and put on like some cool, like, you know, Duke Ellington recordings that only he had access to. Um, And he would put that on and we would all get to check that out. And that would be so cool. And then we could go into the practice room and just like play on the drums for like, you know, half an hour and go late to our next class and get a little bit in trouble, but it wasn't that bad. Um, But, you know, like, so like, it's like during class, it was, it was always, you know, always pretty, pretty much like 
this is this we're here to play to practice this repertoire and like you're in class now um but then it was like up to the students who wanted to actually get that free that time to like explore and and, and be creative um and you know at the same time making that feel like inclusive and welcoming and not like a clicky thing because i think that's also um that can that can be a, a, a downside of that approach so um but yeah, I think that 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 was huge. And my dad actually used to teach um, social studies and English, and he would have this guitar group of kids that would just come after school and play guitar. And it was like he would give them all guitars. He would like find them like and, and like fix them up and give them to students. And so it was like the students could, you know, kind of like do what they wanted to explore music. Um, <clears throat> but they had to be the ones to, to like show up and and you know be there and then that was their free creative time but it wasn't like he would like cancel social studies class and everyone gets to just mess around on guitars it was like he would come at a specific time that he was like providing you know the space for and i know that also then demands like more labor from teachers um which is also you know something that like teachers especially in the arts should be um paid more and, and given more resources and things like that so um, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, yeah, you should just work more for free, like, um, but, you know, yeah. if someone who has power to change these things is listening, like, <laughs> teachers to, to do these things, that could be great for all of humanity. I had the same, I had the high school director that somehow had these random Louis Armstrong recordings that, I don't know if he was lying or he was not lying, but he used to tell us a story that he somehow burned copies or he got burned copies from like the library of Congress or something. And I was like, I don't know where these are from and I don't know if I should believe you or not, but that was our lunch thing as we listened to Louis Armstrong. So send me his uh, phone number. I'll get in contact with him. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And Josh, to your point, the, uh, the, I think it's the Johan de Mai is the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. 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 But we had, um, I have Marissa's laughing because I'm obsessed with the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. Such a nerd. <laughs> and I had like four kids that we hosted counties this year or this past year before everything happened, we were supposed to. And, um, I had four kids that heard we were playing Lord of the Rings and they like, sprinted down the hallway and they lost their mind and they took the music and they went what is this and i went now listen like it's not exactly <laughs> what you know it is but i promise it's still good um so i've uh, we had that struggle last year too but both awesome awesome music yeah i, I love the the concert band uh the the on damage that's it was so much fun um so it's a good one it was awesome it was crazy um well thank you guys very much for chatting yeah. and uh we we appreciate it and we're sure that people listening appreciate it and i've said it and i'm sure you've heard it a million times as as a teacher right now it's it's so awesome to have people as willing as you three are to sit down and chat about things both for our, the benefit of our students and educators as well so can't thank you enough for hanging out and chatting for a while yeah you thank you so much heroes. you're the ones that are really uh you know directly one-on-one -on -one uh, shaping the future of music and of pe just people's lives in general. And uh, we, we really look up to you both and music educators all over the world. And uh, you're the, the real heroes. So we, thank you for doing what you do. Yes, thank you. We, we appreciate it. And if you, in, a, in a, just a final thing, is there anything that you want to plug or um, if teachers or students or anyone else listening want to find more of you, is there a, a direction you want to send them? Well, we actually have some education resources on our Patreon that people can sign up for. Um, and in the months to come, 
we're going to be uploading a bunch of kind of little tip videos and these kind of things uh, available. I think it's at like what two dollars, three dollars a month. Like it's dollars a month. Yeah. What was it? Whopping three dollars. Whopping, month. yeah. <laughs> a COVID special right there. <laughs> but so people can check out our Patreon uh, for tons of stuff, and then we also have some education resources on our YouTube page. Um, and yeah, we do stuff like this. If anyone else wants to do a podcast, happy to just to be supporting this awesome work that y'all are doing. Awesome. And um, for our listeners, we'll link the, the Patreon and Lucky Chops website as well um, and their YouTube in the description for this uh, episode as well. So thank you guys again for hanging out. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's fun.